Dear brethren, it is an honor to be among you, and although I am just beginning to develop your acquaintance, I trust it will be the first of uh, many more times as God gives opportunity as our paths cross in God's providence, as I have recently relocated with my family down to Cape May County, uh, down here in South Jersey. And what a joy it is also to continue to have good fellowship among dear Reformed Baptist brethren. I've had a rather long history and experience, a rather warm one of appreciation going back to the days when I can remember uh, listening to sermons, not on sermon audio, but on these strange little plastic devices that one would shove into a little uh, player, and I would uh, listen to many a Trinity pulpit cassette tape, and my mind be challenged and my soul stirred. I suspect a few of you may have had that same kind of experience. I'd like to take you, dear brethren, to one of the most uh, profound prophecies of Holy Scripture, to Isaiah chapter 53. And while the particular text that we will uh, be treating is verse 6, I would like to read it in its entirety. Let us now give ear to the Holy Spirit speaking to us in Scripture. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness or beauty. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb or mute, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. Dear brethren, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us again ask God's aid. O Lord, as we now treat this very heavenly and glorious prophecy, it is our desire that uh, you would come and meet with us and lift up Christ crucified, setting him before us, before the eyes of our faith. And we pray, Lord, that those precious, glorious, heavenly lessons would be brought home by the Spirit of God to each of those who are true and genuine believers and that those who are yet outside of Christ, that they would see their nakedness, that they have a lie in their right hand, and that they would hear uh, the free overtures of grace in the gospel and receive Christ as their prophet, priest, and king for time and for eternity. And bless this dear congregation, O God, in the midst of uh, sometimes uncertain and trying times. And bless them abundantly, O Lord, we pray. Through Jesus. Amen. While we, like sheep, have gone astray, We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These verses have struck us, haven't they, many times, I am sure, as being so very vivid and very colorful with texture and and contour and shape that that one almost is surprised, if not surprised, if not shocked, that anyone who believes that the Old Testament is the word of God could doubt that this was fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. And yet there is a veil over the eyes, particularly of so many of those who have the very blood of Abraham in their veins. Now some, some have believed, Paul said, make no mistake, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. But by and large, blindness has happened unto Israel in part. They have a veil over their eyes, not seeing the very hand that is in front of their face. But let us not be Lifted up in pride, dear Gentile brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, for we do not bear the root, but the root bears us. We were wild branches, and yet the Lord took us, dirty dogs, outside of the kingdom of, of, of the Lord, and he brought us near. Truth, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Praise be to God. We have been saved by a Jew. A Jew rejected of his own. 
who came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and yet, and yet had a plan that when he should die and rise again and ascend to the right hand of God, that his witnesses should not only preach in Jerusalem, not only in Judah and in Samaria, but go to the uttermost parts of the earth and hold up Christ crucified for all nations. And now we join the Israel of God hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ came. This is, this is our prophecy, no less than those Jews who by the grace of God, had their eyes opened and came to their Messiah. And don't ever think, don't ever think that as the eunuch of Isaiah's prophecy that, uh, that we are cast off from God's people. Oh no, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are just as much included as those who have been serving all day long. Here in this particular verse of this glorious prophecy of the suffering Savior, the Messiah, we join with that ancient people of God in this confession. All we like sheep, we, all we, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Israel of God then and now confesses that notwithstanding their waywardness, rebellion, and deviance, yet Jehovah has in his boundless mercy and love imputed their whole guilt to Christ that he might bear their fearful punishment. Consider with me, dear friends, uh, this glorious text under three points. First, the Israel of God prophetically confesses. The Israel of God prophetically confesses. Second, the Israel of God prophetically distinguishes. And third and last, the Israel of God prophetically magnifies. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now, of course, this is a, a prophecy, a forth speaking of the Lord. <clears throat> Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They spoke the very word of God. And many of these, of these utterances that were given under the influence of and the absolute authority and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit spoke of things to come. And everywhere we look in Isaiah 53, we, we see the cross. We see the wounds. We see the stripes. We see the being numbered with transgressors. The only difference is that now we have recorded for us the actual fulfillment in the Gospels. So we have the very, the very image, as it were, at least by way of report, 
of what happened there on Calvary's hill. But at the same time, this prophecy expresses the convictions and the feelings of the people of God. We call them the Israel of God because not all those who are of Israel are of Israel. It's it's always been a, a reality that within the church of God, before the coming of the Lord Jesus or in this New Testament age, that not all those who claim to be a part of the people of God or are born into the people of God, not all those who have either been circumcised or observed the, the, the Passover or take part in all the rituals of, of the communal life of the people of God in the Old Testament, nor those who have passed through the waters of baptism, no matter how enthusiastic they seem to be, nor how much, nor, nor how much Bible they can quote, saying it doesn't make it so. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. It's not circumcision in the flesh, but he's a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men. I don't care about men's praise. I care about God's. Israel was and yet was not the people of God. In fact, the Lord at, a, at one point gave them a bill of divorcement. I don't, I don't even recognize you. You don't believe. I don't recognize the DNA of your father Abraham. Don't give me your circumcision. Don't give me all your observances, your being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Take away all your sacrifices. I don't want any of these things. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. But make no mistake, the people who are speaking here, all we like sheep have gone astray, is the Israel of God. The true church in the visible church of the Old Testament. And now we... We who were the unnatural branches who have been joined in by faith. And there is no difference whether Jew or Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. Well, what does the true church through the mouthpiece of Isaiah? Because Isaiah was not just a prophet although he was that, he was a sincere believer. And so he speaks both as a prophet and as the mouthpiece of the true people of God, and we hear the heartbeat of the people of God. They, prof they prophetically confess. What do they confess? They confess their frightful guilt of sin. There's no boasting coming from the mouths of this Israel of God. There's no strutting. 
There's no chest thumping. There's no pulling out of credentials, long resumes of of good works and the pedigree who I was born to and who my father's father was. None of that really counts at the end of the day. All we like sheep have gone astray. They confess their collective sin. This is what we have in common as the people of God. There are all kinds of differences. All kinds of accents. All kinds of different, especially now under the New Testament. All kinds of of cultures and, and backgrounds and expressions and different types of food. I have no doubt that some in this place love curry. I love curry myself. But there's this vast variety of difference. But what is one of the most fundamental common denominators among us is that we own our sin. We don't brush it over. We take that fig leaf and we burn it with the rest of the other leaves as of no value. He that conceals his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes it shall find mercy. We're not hiding it. We're all in the same miserable, wretched boat like the Like the one of the thieves. He was numbered with the transgressors. There in this prophecy. One of those thieves. He finally comes to his senses. After he's been insulting and degrading the Messiah. If you think you're you're something special. You think you say you are who you say you are. Well why don't you come down from the cross. and, And bring us down too. At the same time. Would you please? But as he hears those words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something begins to change in his heart. And then while the other guy's running his mouth, he does one of the most noble final acts that he would ever do in his life. He stands up for a righteous man. We are here because we deserved what we're getting. And isn't that what the true believer says? One of the most fundamental convictions and confessions of the people of God. This is one of the most essential common denominators of what it means to be among the true people of God is to confess our sin against God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. Are you sure, Paul? I mean, come on. You see all those pilgrims making their long journey to Jerusalem? To Mecca? No, not one. The Lord has weighed them in the balances. And he has found them wanting. They have gone with the herd and encouraged each other in sin. This has been a a team effort. Notice the, the collectiveness of this confession. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
at the very time when God gave his holy law. The Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone with the very finger of God, boys and girls. Moses is coming down and he hears something. What does he hear? Singing and dancing. The very engravings, as it were, were still warm. And they had already broken the first and second commandments and a few others at the same time. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. It's the same language, turning aside, deviating. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned out of the way. Here, they, they went out of the way quickly. It, it, didn't, it wasn't long at all. How many chapters are there between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3? I made man upright and they have sought out many inventions. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed unto it. And said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Well, wasn't there anyone down there? What, what about Aaron? Surely Aaron didn't have anything to do with this. Well, they gave me the gold. And I, I put it in and then... Out came this calf. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have all yielded to folly and blindness and waywardness. Forty years long, says Jehovah, I was grieved with this generation. I said they always err or wander in their heart and they have not known my ways. But notice also that the Israel of God prophetically confesses not just their, their collective guilt. They confess their individual sin. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah includes himself in the we. Paul did the very same thing, didn't he? He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of everyone's acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I wear the crown. I count my pedigree and all my good works, I count them as excrement. But there is also the individual dimension of it. Sin takes many shapes, many forms. There are many paths. You know, in a, some of these major cities, you've no doubt been on these multi-lane highways. 
You get on by the on-ramp and you realize your next exit's about right over there. So you're crossing over seven lanes of traffic. Well, there are all kinds of ways to weave and go fast and slow using a fancy cars or, or a jalopy. It, it doesn't matter. On the Broadway, there are all kinds of particular ways to go. And so we as sinners have employed our individuality in sin. Psalm 119, I have gone astray. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. David had his particular Davidic sins. Tailor-made sins. Sins with our own signature. Sins with our own smell. No, sins with our own stink. Have you ever noticed, children, you go into someone else's house, and it may not stink, but you notice a distinct scent. It's a little different. And who knows all the different reasons, whether it's the foods they eat or the furniture they brought in or maybe some mold that's in the basement. You you just don't know. But everyone has their own unique smell. Back, back in our home church, we have several autistic young people. And there's a sweet young girl. She, she's closed off to the world and, and the world to her, but not totally. When I come by, I, saw, I say, hi, Alexis. And I put up my hand. She grabs it, puts it to her nose, and then smiles. She knows Pastor. Pastor has a scent. Well, with our sin, we have a distinct scent. Your sin may be very much like mine, but it also may be very different. Some may be so prone to carnal anger, they have a very, very short fuse. Don't raise your hand, but is there anyone here who has a really short fuse? Others are overly meek. They won't ever say anything that would offend anyone. They're so afraid of what other people think. Some are rather raw and pretty graphic with their sin. They, as the Puritans would say, they sin with a high hand. They, they're like a peacock in their sin. Look at me, world. We see an awful lot of that, don't we? They have no shame. But then there are others who are much more closeted about their sins. Some some sin in self-righteousness because they've cleaned themselves up and they're better than others. And it's pride. Pride is in their heart. We could go on and on and on. What is your scent, my friend? No, what is your stink? A stench in the nostrils of God. Well, the church doesn't hide it. The true church owns it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, every one of us, to our own tailor-made 
handcrafted sin. We have individually engaged in our our willful rejection of the law. They have turned unto me the back and not the face. And this about face can never just be put off on the herd. Well, it's because all my friends. Or I was getting pressured. Or I didn't want to stand out. No, thou art the man. David doesn't brush it under the carpet of the collective. Don't brush your sin under the carpet of the collective. Because God sees right through it. You have sinned. Lord, against thee, the only, says David, have I sinned. What does true repentance look like? Oh, we all make mistakes, you know. No. I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what the true church does. That's what the Israel of God does. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have made an about face with God. We have used our individuality to declare independence from God. Behind this is a fundamental distaste and an aversion to God. The carnal or the fleshly mind is enmity against God. Now, Thomas Chalmers, a preacher in the 19th century, he, he said it's often the case that, that some rather draw back at the doctrine, the harsh doctrine of total depravity, because so many people, they're rather decent folk. Well, I, I don't really hate God. And then he starts reading verses. Do you like this God? Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The God who doesn't grade on a curve, who though he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means acquit the guilty, who will damn the wicked to hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and it would be better for us to rip out our eyeball out of its eye socket and throw it into the compost bin in order to avoid that place where the worm does not die and the flesh and, and, and the fire is not quenched. You see, the closer we look at God in the Bible, the natural man cannot handle him and won't handle him. But for the true believer, even the hardest sayings of Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I know that my mind is disordered with my folly. I'm like a stupid sheep. That's the imagery here, people. 
You're like a stupid sheep who doesn't understand what's true and what's good for him. There's a fundamental distaste and aversion to God, to all that is good and wise and holy. John Owen puts it this way. The problem is the heart's dislike of the ways of God. I don't like God's way. I still remember very vividly, before I was converted as a, as a boy, 11, 12, 13 years old, my parents made me go to church, and I despised it. I just, I just hated the inconvenience and the burden of being forced to go to church. I wasn't a serial murderer. But that doesn't matter. I hated God. And that's enough for God to be angry with you. And for you to be sentenced to everlasting destruction. That you hate God. And, and if you're going to argue with this, then I just ask you, do you like God? If you don't like God, that's enough to condemn you. Because you don't like that which is infinitely good and holy and perfect and the one who gave you the breath that you're breathing right now. And he could snatch it away in a moment. And yet you don't like him. And so you'll sign up to be a nun. You know, indifference is some of the most grievous kinds of mistreatment. God is not in all their thoughts. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Second, we hasten on. The Israel of God here in this text prophetically distinguishes Isaiah 53 is not all about I and we and us. There is this mass of guilty and damnable sinners, transgressors. Those given to iniquity, those who have turned to their own way. Those who despise and reject the righteous. There is a mass of guilty and damnable sinners, including, again, the prophets themselves. Isaiah 6. How does Isaiah feel about himself? Does he just feel so very good inside? Stroking his inner child? No, when he has a vision of God, he collapses to the ground. I am undone. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he feels a profound sense of dirtiness. That's the beginning of the Holy Spirit wrestling with you. Is when you begin to feel, no matter how clean you are on the outside, no matter how nice your church clothes are, 
No matter how much your neighbors just can't stop talking about what great people you are. I love living in this neighborhood. This so-and-so over here, he's just a prince. But then the Holy Spirit starts working and putting the flashlight in the soul. And then all of a sudden, you feel the dirt. Have you felt dirty, my friend? If you never have, that's a bad thing. Oh, may the Holy Spirit cause the floodlight of His truth and of His law even now to shine into your soul that you may see the filth and the uncleanness. But Israel, the Israel of God is not without hope because there is someone else in Isaiah 53. The eunuch says to Philip, I'm reading this book. Who's he talking about? Of himself or some other man? There's someone else there. Oh, praise be his most glorious name. There is someone else there. There is a mass of guilty and damnable sinners, but then there is one who is distinct with a singular identity, who is separate in a different category from these sinners. He is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. He is infinitely perfect as the one suitable to be the divinely appointed sin bearer. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did, we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, and not his. I find no fault in this man. And what's even more important, God found no fault in that man. And yet, there is in this prophecy a real identity. This is, the, this is the marvelous mystery. The gospel mystery in this ancient prophecy is that while there is a radical distinction between the dirty and the damned and the righteous one who suffered for them, yet there is an identity between them. He moved among them. He grew up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, though he is the king of glory. He's just like one of us. 
In fact, that was a point of offense, a very stumbling block back home in Nazareth. We know his parents. Who does he think he is? And so the author to the Hebrews says that he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. I am not ashamed to declare thy name unto my brethren. He did not take upon him the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. That he might in all points be made like unto his brethren, yet without sin. So that he could be the qualified sin bearer. The Lamb of God who takes away the the sin of the world. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Those whom the Father gave me. Those who were, like Joseph's brothers, his own bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And yet as they sacrificed him, through that sacrifice, he saved his brothers. His dirty, betraying brothers. This was our sin. And he came to save his people. And not just a vague, uh, general group of people who can opt in or out as they please and no it's for a definite number of those whom the father has given the son he gave himself not just for the sheep he gave himself for the church husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, the priest who went into the Holy of Holies not with the blood of bulls and of goats but with well Jesus Christ he brought his own blood but those priests in the Old Testament who came with those animal sacrifices they wore uh, the high priest that, that breastplate with 12 stones 12 jewels and the names of the tribes of the children of Israel upon them that's a wonderful thing Jesus didn't die for a vague general number of people that may or may not in the end have any interest or ever be saved but no for a definite number from all eternity that the father gave the son and he dies for them and he will go and gather every last sheep for whom he has laid down his life other sheep I have I have them them also must I bring 
leading us third and last, the Israel of God prophetically magnifies. It magnifies, she magnifies you, I, brothers and sisters, if you are truly of faith. And not just playing games with God. The Israel of God magnifies the free, the free and unmerited loving kindness of Jehovah. I had nothing to present to him but the filth and the scum of my sins. My mama could tell me all day long what a nice boy I am. But I know in my heart what I've said. I know in my heart what I've done. I know in my heart all the things I haven't done but should have. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but oh, the love of God. That when we were yet sinners, when we didn't love God, when we were charting out our own course and putting the graffiti of our own wickedness all over its walls. God loved his enemies so much that he put his own son to death as a bloody sacrifice. And friends, he didn't call an audible at the last moment. This prophecy was over 700 years before Calvary. And its intention, its intention began in eternity. The whole world's guilt, the world of a, of a mass of sinners, the weight of each sin, of each individual for his entire life added to the weight of all the sins of all the individuals of that world of sinners upon the scapegoat. Jesus Christ to receive the legal assignment and imputation of that sin. James Durham puts it this way. The iniquities of the elect are so many brooks and rivulets of water. Anyone which is hard and difficult for them to pass over. But oh, when Christ comes to satisfy for them. They are brought and gathered into a great lake, or rather into a vast sea or ocean together. All your sins, even the ones that you forgot about. My sins and faults of youth. All of them. Multiplied by all those who had gone astray and yet whom the Father had freely loved and the Son from eternity said, Yes, Father, I will go and I will do as you have bade me for I love them as much as thou lovest them. 
And then he paid the price. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when the Lord does that, it's as good as done. Notice the prophecy is in the past tense, which shows us that God is most sure when he determines it. As we close, friends, what God promised to the fathers by the prophets, indeed, he has decreed from from all eternity, he has now fulfilled. And that's the good news of the gospel. You see, it's not just in print. It's not just a prophecy that we're still waiting for. He came. And he didn't just come as a root out of a dry ground. No. He was made sin. He who knew no sin was made sin in space and time under Pontius Pilate, betrayed by Judas. His death demanded by an angry Jewish mob. God has now fulfilled. I love that. That grand little word, now. Now is the righteousness of the law revealed. God commends his love towards a world of wretched sinners in that while they were yet sinners and enemies, Alienated from God by wicked works, Christ died for them. The Father gave his Son as the substitutionary, sacrificial, satisfactory victim. The debt had to be paid. But the people, they could not pay the debt. Therefore, one came. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I come to do thy will, O God. He came as a sacrifice, taking the full toll of our personal and particular debts amassed together with all those whom the Father has given to the Son and satisfying the justice of God And satisfying the good pleasure of the Father, which is not only to purchase and to ransom these sinners, but in fact to collect. The church, militant in heaven, sings a new song. You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, you Lamb of God, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Friend, are you a sheep? Not everyone's a sheep. There were many who did not believe. We read in John 6. Because Jesus says. You are not of my sheep. That's why you can't believe. Have you been brought to this point? Have you. With your mouth. Full of pig food. Come to yourself. 
and realized, yeah, I'm a sheep. We've gone astray. We've gone wrong. We thought we were so wise. We thought we had it all together. We have turned everyone to his own way. Have you ever been a fool? Is this your confession? If not, if you cannot say with meaningfulness, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and you cannot appreciate that the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of the foolish and stupid and rebellious sheep, then you're going the wrong way. There's a way that seems right into a man, but I assure you in the name of God, its end is the end and the way of death. Don't waste another minute. Don't drive another mile. If you are coming by the Holy Spirit to your senses, you're going the wrong way. And this way may look so fancy and nice. And everyone may be going in it too. But this way is the broad way that leads to destruction. And there are many that go in thereat. But the sheep, when the Holy Spirit comes, they hear about this Messiah. This one who didn't go astray. Who didn't uh, listen uh, to the devil's lies. Who wasn't inflated with pride. No, no, I am meek and lowly in spirit. Which is why you can trust me. Come unto me. Come unto me, Jesus says. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Have you beheld the love, the wonderful love of the grace of God in Christ? Stop the madness. Turn back to Christ. And backslider. You may indeed be a sheep, but you're you know you're out of the way. Somewhere, somewhere in the way behind you, you went wrong. Let the goodness of God lead you to repentance. And if you are one of His, and if you have looked to that cross where the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all, then give Him your all. What shall I render to the Lord for all his gifts to me? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let us pray. O oh God, we do pray that this glorious text, this wondrous prophecy would meet us now again or for the first time we ask Lord that we would confess and that we would turn and that we would receive the free gift of righteousness and pardon and peace through the Lord Jesus Christ 
Remember us now, Lord, in the infinite mercy of God, and bless this dear assembly of your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us, brethren, take a few closing moments uh, to meditate. Peace of God be with you all. Amen.